0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Listener supported. WNYC
2: Studios. Let's just right. try it and be messy. Okay. You want to start Big Kahuna? By that, you mean Latif. <laughs> <laughs> all, I meant the
3: old. I meant the old soul, the old... The old, uh,
2: the old Kahuna? Sure, I can start us off. Uh, hey, everybody. Jad here with Lulu and Latif. And we just wanted to let you know about a thing that just happened. Uh, we just launched this thing called The Lab. Not Radio Lab, because that's been around for almost 20 years. But The Lab is a new membership experience from our team. You get... A lot of great stuff, including and especially the opportunity to get more access to
3: us, to the show, to all the stuff that we love so much. And you can listen to it ad-free, but then you get more original work. You get bonus content. Um, There's going to be bonus content from Mixtape in the member feed this very week. Secret special extra interviews on the history of the...
2: Walkman. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I don't know why you'd be listening to Nintendo and in your Walkman, but you might be.
2: <laughs> so, so, yeah, so depending on how generous you're feeling or, or how much of a peek you want to get behind the scenes, if there's swag that you can actually get that is great, that is hot, that is, I mean, it, one is a tote bag, so that, I mean, you maybe saw that coming. Uh, but It does have a very cool retro, uh, this is Radio Lab as spoken by me and rendered into a waveform patch. On it, I would give it just an aesthetic
3: thumbs up. Yeah, you, like there's stuff, there's swag that you can actually get. To be one of the first to join this new program, go to radiolab.org slash join to get the details.
2: And we're also going to make a separate feed of just Jad reading Casper ads for those of you who who miss out. <laughs> <laughs> that'll just be for me and my mom. Those that, be... <laughs> Oh wait, you're listening. Okay.
4: All right. Okay. All right. You're listening to Radio Lab. Lab.
5: Radio Lab from (laughs) WNYC. See? Yep. Recording. Walking into NYU. This building is huge. Hello. Hello. Hello.
4: All
6: right.
7: How are you? I'm doing well. I don't know. Do we shake hands? I don't know. I haven't. (laughs) Haven't done oh, okay. this in a really long time, so. Okay. <laughs> Let me see. You ready for the uh,
3: Radio Lab? Yeah, sure. Yep, everybody, come on in. Awesome. Hi, I'm Lula Miller.
2: And I'm Latif Nasser. This is Radio Lab. Today we have a story about a medical breakthrough
3: that is going to break the heart of one of our all-time favorite humans and guests on the show. Hello. Hi,
7: guys. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, Comes to
3: us from our producer, yeah, hi Sarah hi. Kari, who you just heard wandering the halls of NYU's Langone Health yeah, Hospital. So this is
7: really exciting
2: as well as our executive editor, Soren wheelie, wheelie. Wheeler. I can give us a start if you want me to.
7: All right. Yeah, actually, yeah. You should tell us how you even had the idea.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had the idea by someone else having had an idea that I saw their idea in a newspaper. <laughs> it's called um, reading. <laughs> so, no, but like, uh, I don't know, what, a month ago, maybe? I was reading the news. The news I was reading was the New York Times. Heard of it? Yeah. Heard of it? It was a, like a science section news thing. And the article is basically announcing this big breakthrough.
2: <laughs> news this evening about a major medical breakthrough. It's Surgeon. been called an astonishing step in medicine.
1: Basically, a group of surgeons had managed to put a pig kidney into a human being. And it worked.
2: Successfully transferring a pig kidney to a human patient
1: for the first time ever the person's body didn't reject the kidney which when you think about all the people waiting on kidneys you know game changer yeah totally so i'm just i'm reading through this article but then in in the middle of it there's just a couple lines about a particular pig that they used for this kidney that drew this very weird line back to a story we had told here on radio lab that's when i i so i brought in sarah to like report this whole thing out. So
7: I actually went to talk to the doctor who who did this transplant. Hi, how's it going? Nice to
6: meet you. How do you do?
7: Good. How Great. are you? His name is Robert Montgomery. He's at NYU Hi. Langone Health, and he's the head of transplant surgery there. So so when did it first occur to you that transplanting a pig kidney into a human would even be... I just started with like the most basic question, which is important. like, wh- why would you do this?
6: Because we don't have an adequate supply of organs for the people who need them when they need them. And so a lot of people die waiting. And so the idea of xenotransplant. And
7: he just made the argument that using animal kidneys was the best way that he could think of to...
6: ...make a dent into that waiting list of 90,000 people.
3: And do you know, is this person still walking around and is the pig
7: still walking around?
6: Mm, good so, question. So, no. We did this transplant, and someone who had been declared brain dead, who had wanted to donate their organs but were unable to donate their organs... And so their family essentially donated their whole body so that we could test a xenotransplant.
7: Like, we're going to try this crazy thing that's never been done and see how it goes.
6: And determine whether this was going to be safe to move into living humans. I it's a proof of concept you say, type Xeno? thing. Right. They didn't want
7: to. Yeah. Wanna, yeah. yeah. So the family agreed and the doctors did the transplant and they could see, you know, like that it worked and the body wasn't rejecting the kidney. The kidney was doing its kidney stuff. Um, But the sort of amazing thing is...
6: Actually, as we sit here today, the same thing happened yesterday.
7: While we were sitting there talking, he told me...
6: You know, we at two in the morning, we um, did our second xenotransplant.
7: We actually just did the second one. You want to see what? That's like happening right
6: now. That's happening right now, and if you want to, you know, come down with me. I'll I'll show you um what we're doing. So
7: and I was like, um, yes. <laughs> um, and he took me downstairs to this big room. It's like a conference room. Okay. It was totally silent. There was like a window looking into this operating room. Okay, can we walk up to the glass? And you could see just like the, the jumble of machines and like medical equipment. What are we looking at? All right,
6: so there's a ventilator over here.
7: And yeah. in the middle of the room, you could ventilator, see right. this... So. Person. That's
6: the, um, the recipient, the deceased.
7: Lying there on the table, covered by this blue surgical shroud. You can see the patient's body kind of like rising and falling as yeah, they that's breathe. Yeah, the
6: ventilator, you know. And
7: they actually attach there. the kidney at the person's thigh because they sort of want to be able to watch it and they're not worried about the person getting up and walking around. So there's this incision at the thigh, mm. and in that oval incision, you could see the pig kidney kind of like poking out. It was like covered by plastic. And Dr. Montgomery told me that, you know, when a body rejects a kidney... The
6: kidney will literally turn black moments after the blood goes into it. from the.
7: Ear. But you could see, like with this one, it was bright pink. And kind of amazingly, just like the first one...
6: Within moments, it started to make urine believe it or not. And so we knew right away that it was working. Wow! See, see oh right gosh, where it's yeah. dripping in? See how fast it's dripping? All that urine is coming out from that kidney. You can so, you,
7: the, you know, this is just the second one that worked. Uh, but eventually, Dr. Montgomery and his team want to get to the point where they can do clinical trials on people who are walking around and doing things and living their lives uh, and who would hold on to this kidney. Wow.
1: Allow me to presume that you have two questions, which I think you do, even if you haven't said them yet, which is like, one, why did this never work before? And Mm -hmm. then two, why are we even telling you this? It's not our usual stick to just pick up a New York Times science news article and relay that to you. Fair. Which brings me back to that little part of the article that piqued my interest in the beginning, because the pig that they got the kidney from to do this was a very special pig. Normally, pigs and other mammals that aren't primates have a sugar in their body um, that our bodies don't have. And so we don't like it or see it as foreign. And that's why usually an organ from another animal would get rejected. But this pig had been genetically modified. It had had the gene that makes that sugar removed. So it didn't have that sugar, which is part of the reason this worked. And that sugar just so happens to be called Alpha Gal.
2: Alpha Gal.
3: <laughs> hey, our old friend. Oh, there it is. Yeah. There's the Radio Lab connection. Our <laughs> exactly. old
1: me. Yeah, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, for, for those of you who aren't nodding along with our knowing noises, we're going to play the original Alpha Gal piece. But even if you have heard it, stick around, because after the piece, we're going to dig more into this special pig. Find out how it connects back to this story in a very particular and and almost maybe sort of, a uh, disturbing
2: way. Cool. All right? Let's do it.
1: Here's the original.
2: Good.
4: Okay. Is your mic on? Yeah. I'm getting This is making me nervous. Maybe I should get my EpiPen.
8: Are you allergic to radio greatness?
4: <laughs> Not that I know of. I haven't been really exposed to it yet.
8: <laughs> anyway, what well, let's go. Are we rolling?
9: We're good. We're going. We're rolling. Okay. I'm Robert Krolwich, this is Radio Lab, and today we're going to begin with a conversation between Dan Pashman, okay, um, host of a podcast here at WNYC called The Sporkful. It's about food, and Amy Pearl. Amy, yes, a digital producer here at the station who likes food.
1: Mm.
9: And the conversation they had was about something that happened to Amy, which she never expected, certainly didn't want, and yet it could happen to any of us at any time.
2: So years ago, before any of this happened to you, just tell me, what was your
8: relationship with meat?
4: My relationship with meat? Yeah. Well, you know how when you're little and your mom is like, you can have any special dinner for your birthday? My dinner was meatballs. And she was like, except meatballs, are so hard to make. So it was pot roast. <laughs> and then Peter Luger, you know Peter Luger? Famous
8: steakhouse in Brooklyn.
4: Yeah. I used to go there quite often, and I live there, and I have a Peter Luger credit card. So, Are
8: those hard to get?
4: I, you know, I don't, I don't know how they give them out, but nobody seems to have one. I don't think they give them out anymore. But, I mean, I was very into Peter Luger. I was living in Williamsburg, and it just it opened at, like, 1 o'clock every day, and you could just walk in at 1. They had an amazing bar. There's no tablecloths on the table, these old German waiters, they bring out your porterhouse for three. They put a little plate upside down and then put the big platter on top of it so it's tilted and all the juice runs to the end. And then they, like, have the special double spoon thing that they somehow, like, scoop juice onto your steak. And, oh, so good. And also, like the smell of burning fat from a hamburger. What about I mean, hot dogs? Oh my God, How, uh, I love hot dogs so much. When you bite into them and they're like clack and have like a snap. And like having a weenie roast out in the open air is just, it's like the, oh God, it's so good. <laughs> anyway, I, I was always very into meat.
8: What changed?
4: Oh my God, it was terrible. It was, what happened was, I was having this beautiful it was springtime I was having a beautiful leg of lamb with some neighbors and we like put it on the grill and it was just a delicious beautiful dinner and I had served with it some ramps that I foraged in my mom's yard
9: A ramp by the way is just a wild onion
4: And so so we had this delicious meal and then you know I went home and I was going to sleep at like Midnight, like a few hours later, and I just felt weird. I was like, "God, something's wrong." I feel like really anxious, like something's wrong with me. And I went in the bathroom and I like look in the mirror, and my face was like all weird looking. And I was like, I kept laying down and be like, "I'll just sleep it off, whatever it is." But every time I lay down, I felt like I was gonna faint. So I was like, prop myself up, and I was like, "Oh God, I'm having terrible like stomach cramps and just like a weird feeling of impending doom." You know, but just like anybody, I'm just like, just get a good night's sleep. This will pass. I, like, splash a little water on my face. I mean, I don't know what made me think this, but I thought, like, maybe a snail, a tiny snail was on one of the ramps that I ate. And it was, like, poisoning me somehow. You know, snails, I mean, they probably poison (laughs) us. So... I called my friends in the morning. I was like, hey, how you guys doing? How was dinner? And they were like, oh, so great. And I was like, really? So great? Nothing weird? Like, <laughs>
2: <laughs> No horrific panic attacks?
4: <laughs> and she, they were like, "And they were like, oh, that was so lovely. Thank you so much. Let's do it again. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wow, I really had a rough night. And, but I didn't think anything of it, and I went on with my life, you know, just like, whatever. And then about a week or two later, I made some cheeseburgers. And I ate a cheeseburger and I was watching um Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Really tear jerking movie <laughs> and a good book too. And um about a couple of hours after I ate, I was like started to feel really weird. Again, I was like feeling like I was like had to stand up. I was like, I think I'm gonna faint. I feel really lightheaded, I can't catch my breath. I feel like really woozy but if any time I lay down I really felt like I was gonna faint so I was like trying to stay sitting upright and I was like oh my god this is very similar and I ran into the bathroom and I was like looking in the mirror and lo and behold I had hives all over my stomach and then they started coming out of my hands and I was like oh my god something's happening and at one point I did get up and unlock my door because I did feel like I'm gonna pass out call an ambulance and then they're not gonna be able to get in so I mean I was in a little bit afraid of what was happening And when I woke up in the morning, the first thing I did was Google sudden meat allergy because I was like, this seems like an allergy. And the only thing that was the same was meat. And I'm going through and like the second thing that came up was this article that was like Florida man – has sudden meat allergy i was like oh my god i think is it possible i could have this and so i made an appointment with my doctor i brought an article i'm like i'm gonna be this person but i can do it i had the article in my pocket what
2: what, be what person
4: you know the person who goes to their doctor with something i found on the internet (laughs) so i brought the article it was in my pocket and like i got through the whole like checkup and I was too chicken. I went, when I was paying the receptionist, I pulled it out and gave it to the receptionist. And I was like, could you give this to the doctor? (laughs) So that was like the best I could do. And then I did call my doctor and had a conversation with him on the phone asking him if I could get tested. And he was like, no, there's no such thing as a meat allergy, blah, blah, blah.
9: So, So some people think allergies are just like in your head. Yeah. This is science writer Peter Smith. We got in touch with him after we heard Amy's story because Peter is an investigator of many things, including strange allergies. And people are like mushrooms hurt them, or they
5: think Wi-Fi hurts them. Yeah, Wi-Fi hurts them, and and I don't know. And
9: when our producer Latif Nasser and I got into the studio and we told him about Amy's story, he said, uh, "Yeah, all right, I know exactly." who you need to talk to.
10: Hello? Yeah, hi.
9: Thomas Platts Mills. This is Thomas Platts Mills, that's right. How are you? I'm very well. Dr. Platts Mills is down at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. He's a professor and he works at an allergy clinic. In
10: an allergy clinic, we're constantly sifting through stories which not only
9: you don't believe, but are actually nonsense. It's simply, And he told us in the last 10 years or so, he started hearing lots of stories just like Amy. Right. Somebody shows up at the office convinced that they're allergic all of a sudden, for no apparent reason, to red meat. The first time I heard it was probably as early as 2004. And every single time he heard the story, he would tell the patient exactly what Amy's doctor told her. No. No way. No, no, no. It's not possible. Right. So, what was wrong with these complaints? You know, in, in an orthodox medical way. Oh, everything! Everything.
10: Adults don't become allergic to something they've eaten for
9: forty years out of the blue, and certainly not red meat. So, you're you're basically saying to these patients, "I think you must be making this up because I can't explain." Well, I don't. It. I don't use language like that.
10: <laughs> I say I say there
9: there. I was I was trying to give you your inner voice.
10: Thing. Oh, you don't want to know what doctors are thinking in their inner voices. <laughs> you know, you often think in the middle of an interview, is it possible
9: that he's got, you know, some ghastly disease?
2: Mad cow. Yeah, you know.
9: The point is that when he'd hear a story like Amy's, he just didn't believe it. But then everything changed. Thanks, oddly enough. To a cancer drug.
5: This new cancer drug called Cetuximab.
7: In New York today, Martha Stewart was indicted on criminal charges relating
9: This to is a- the very drug that got Martha Stewart in all that trouble for insider trading. Remember that? I went to jail for six months? Yeah. Anyway, very promising, exciting new drug. But then...
5: Doctors were giving people this injection, and they would just like end up
9: on the floor of the doctor's office. In shock? Yeah, they would be an anaphylactic shock. Their hearts would start beating faster, they'd get short of breath, they'd get stomach cramps. Their immune system would start to overreact to something new, and alien that came in with the drug. Basically, a classic allergic reaction. So the mystery lands on Thomas
5: Platts Mills' desk. Yes. So we were asked to look at cetuximab.
9: To see if they could figure out what was causing the reaction. And he tests two groups of blood, a control sample, and then people that have this allergy. And he quickly zeroed in on a particular molecule, a sugar, that was part of the drug. This sugar, galactose-alpha-1-3-galactose, or... Alpha gal. Alpha gal? Yeah. As in a particularly great lady? (laughs) Yeah. Better than the beta or gamma
2: gal? It's like alpha male, but alpha female didn't quite have a ring to it.
0: the alpha gal.
9: gal. Anyway, it seemed like alpha gal was the culprit. Yeah. And
10: if you would told me four years earlier that there's a whole lot of people out there who are allergic to this sugar, I'd have thought you were smoking You know, vaping
9: again. (laughs) Because not only does this sugar alpha gal show up in the cancer drug, and this is where we get back to Amy, it also shows up in the blood of mammals. All non
10: primate mammals. So every time you eat lamb or beef, goat, camel, even tripe or pig's kidneys, you're also eating
9: alpha gal.
4: So I'm reading this article, and it says, like, it's this thing called alpha-galactase or alpha-gal or whatever. So
9: it made no sense that someone like Amy, who'd been eating meat all her life, would suddenly somehow be allergic to alpha-gal.
4: I just was like, this was so stupid. So, one day. It's getting to be barbecue season. I usually have, like, a couple of barbecues where I just do a whole pork butt and a brisket and, like, hang out all day doing it. And I was, like, very wanted to do that. And I was like, I'm just going to not eat meat and not even know. So I was like, forget it. My doctor will test me. I'm going to test myself. So I was like, going to be very careful. I got a thing of Benadryl. And I was like, I'm not going to do it alone. I'll do it with my mom, (laughs) my poor mom. And so I went up to my mom's, and she's, like, really into food, too. So she was like, oh, this is so exciting. I got two porterhouse steaks on salad stews.
2: <laughs> did you explain to her what you were <laughs> yeah, testing?
4: Yeah, I did, because I had talked a little bit about it with her. So, like, fire up the grill, do the porterhouse. I even think I, like, Instagrammed it as a joke. Like, ha, ha, ha. This might be the last time you hear from me. <laughs> but so... You know, we're having a nice summer day, just me and my mom having our steak. I only ate, like, a couple bites because I was slightly nervous. And I was, like, sitting in the grass with my dog and reading a book and trying to think, like, do I feel normal? Which, try it, folks. It's hard to figure out (laughs) when you start (laughs) asking yourself, do I feel normal? Does this – am I breathing? oh, is my stomach hurt? Is something wrong? And I was like, after a while, I was like, oh, I feel pretty good. And the neighbor came over and was, like, chatting with us, and it was in the middle of that conversation where I was like, I kind of feel like I have to go to the bathroom, but maybe I just have to go to the bathroom. So I went to the bathroom, and I was sitting there, and I was like, oh, God, something feels bad. And then I was like, oh, God, I definitely this is not right. Something's wrong. And I went in to get the Benadryl and I took the Benadryl and I went on my bed and in the guest room at my mom's and I was like sitting on there and I was like, I just don't feel right. Oh, maybe I just take a deep breath. I'll just stand up. Maybe I just put my hands over my head like this. Oh, that does feel slightly better, I think. <laughs> and then I was finally like, I think we should go to the hospital. And I went outside. I was like, mom, I think you have to drive me to the hospital. She was like talking to her neighbor like, what? Oh, my God, honey, what? Oh, let me go change my clothes. (laughs) change my clothes like mom you know she's not wearing the hospital level clothes so I'm like okay hurry up mom mom are you ready mom and then I was like while she was changing her clothes I suddenly was like oh my god got my wallet out and my cell phone and I like threw it towards my mom's bedroom door and I was like here's my insurance card call an ambulance and I just like hit the floor eventually the ambulance arrives and I got stabilized. I was strapped to the thing. I was in the emergency room like they were shooting me full of, I don't know what, epinephrine and adrenaline. And the little, like, 12-year-old emergency room doctor runs in, and he was like, I looked it up on the internet. Alpha gal. Fascinating. What? That's terrible. I've never heard of that. Could it be true? Yes, it's true. Like, they're all having this discussion there. Then when I went back to my doctor after that, and I was like, hey, just get out of the emergency room because they tested me for alpha-gal, and I'm allergic to meat.
9: So this is an allergy?
2: Yeah. So all of a sudden you're looking at the, quote, crazies, and they're not so, quote, crazy anymore.
10: Absolutely. We suddenly had a blood test, and of course what turned out is all these patients who'd been telling us this story were allergic to alpha-gal
9: but but it's still like a mystery right there are pages. Thomas Platt's Mills couldn't figure out why people like Amy who had lived for 40 years eating Porterhouse steaks at Peter Luger's with a credit card why would she suddenly develop an allergy now there would got to be some kind of trigger yes so we were looking for anything
10: that could explain it it could be a mold it could be a nematode a worm
9: or a fungus. But then he looked again and noticed that all the people who had had bad reactions to the cancer drug, they were in a particular area of the country
10: was Virginia, North Carolina, Southern Missouri, Tennessee, Arkansas, no cases in Salt Lake City, no cases in Denver, Just smatterings down the west. So he turned to his technician, Jake, and he said, I said, you've got to Google every map you can
9: find and say, what matches that area? Creatures or diseases that appear wherever the allergy appears. So Jake starts googling googling and googling and googling and, and eventually he comes across a map
10: that matches where the cases are very beautifully the maximum area for rocky mountain spotted fever
5: so he made this little map and it's like the shaded dark areas of the country are places with rocky mountain spotted fever and then there's like some stars where you know this this allergy had appeared yeah and they they overlap ah oh, very interesting and then all of a sudden it clicks Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever is a tick-borne disease. This is
10: the distribution of the Lone Star tick.
9: And actually, just a little before this, it turns out an allergist down in Australia, Cheryl Van Noonan. First name Cheryl, S-H-E-R-Y-L, Van Noonan, V-A-N, and then N-U-N-E-N. And I'm from the Tick-Induced Allergies Research and Awareness Centre in Sydney, Australia. She says she was now being visited by all kinds of people who claim suddenly to be allergic to meat. And whenever I take a history, so for example, I'd ask them was there a family history of rhinitis, eczema, asthma, uh, stinging insect allergy, and they say they've all been bitten by ticks.
10: When we started asking patients, we suddenly heard the stories
9: just out the kazoo. (laughs) But at this point, Dr. Platts Mills, all he has is a map, some stories, and a hunch. Right. So So what does he do? He decides, well, maybe I'll just do this to myself.
5: He does what? (laughs) He decides to test it on himself. Oh my god. He sort of like denies that he did it intentionally. I know I had no intention. I mean, he I think he also likes to walk and amble and think about things. Right. So, he goes for a
10: long walk along the Blue Ridge Mountains, and I knew I wanted to be off trail because I'm actually rather allergic to humans. <laughs> So he's walking and walking and walking, and along the way, Ah. he bumps into a whole bunch of ticks. And if you walk into a nest of those things... Oh, my God, this sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. I got 200 seed ticks. Oh, boy. And then in November of that year, I was taken out to dinner, and the lamb chops were particularly delicious, and the French wine was delicious. And six hours later, I woke up covered in hives he's got an allergy to red meat all just
9: because of a tick bite tick bite that's right we'll bite you right back after this
2: radio lab is supported by betterment let's talk about you and your money you like your free time you like to relax every now and then you like to feel totally chill but your money your money likes to work Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank.
0: When you see actor Danielle Brooks on the red carpet at the Oscars, she will be in full glamour and in grief.
7: I've been with Sophia for so long. And I just know, like, after the Oscars, that chapter is really done. And that saddens me.
0: I'm Kai Wright, a star of the color purple, honors the role that shaped her career. Next time on Notes from America. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
9: I'm Robert Krolowich, this is Radio Lab. Now we go back to Amy just when she's discovered that the allergy to meat that she's developed comes from a tick bite. A tick bite?
4: Hang on a second because, like, a few weeks before all this started happening, as I said, I was foraging for ramps in my mom's backyard, and I had a tick on my on my arm. Now, it turns
9: out that not only was that tick bite a terrible thing for Amy, it was a kind of double tragedy.
10: Hidden from view amongst the trees...
9: In the undergrowth, and I think it's only right at this point to back up, is a fascinating world of wonders,
8: and consider the story from a tick's point of view. Okay, so uh, I'm Graham Hickling. I'm a wildlife disease ecologist at the University of Tennessee. So
9: I was wondering if you could help us uh, tell the story of, uh, in this case, the Lone Star tick that bit Amy.
8: Oh yeah, sure. So they start off in this little pile of eggs, perhaps a mass of 2,000 eggs, under the leaves. The proud mom who just gave birth. At that point, she's just a kind of a withered husk. Meaning dead. But anyway. A few weeks later, those eggs will hatch, and this mass of 2,000 baby ticks emerge from under the leaves.
9: And Could I see them with my naked eye?
8: If you ran into a mass of them all up together, you would feel like you've got a little smudge of dirt, and then the dirt starts walking. (laughs) And so they'll just climb up, and they'll potentially all be on the same leaf or the same twig, looking for something to feed on. Now, one teeny little tiny problem for these teeny little tiny ticks is that they dry out. So when they come up from under the
9: leaves, they come up briefly and then they go back down. Get a little water, come back up, get
8: thirsty, go back down. And rehydrate. So they like commute. Exactly. And we refer to the behavior as questing. Oh,
7: questing. questing.
8: So if you were one of these little baby ticks up questing for food. While you're up there, you are essentially Velcro. Because on each one of your little legs, you have little kind of hook-like structures. And so you're flat against the leaf. Sort of sniffing in the air with your two little front legs. That can detect CO2 heat movement. So let's say one day you're sitting there on your leaf and you pick up the scent of a nearby mouse. Mice are the potato chips of the ecosystem. Everything (laughs) eats them. Which means you
9: might be about to have your very first meal.
8: So you basically stand up, stretch out all your little legs, and do a tick dance. And so it's kind of interpretive (laughs) dance-like movements. While you're waiting for
9: that mouse to come just close enough that you can grab onto it. So you're dancing and you're waiting, and you're dancing and you're waiting, and you're dancing and you're waiting, and you're dancing and you're waiting.
8: To to be honest, you are probably going to wait your entire life and die unfulfilled. Um, (laughs) Because there are 2,000 of you starting off, and a stable tick population, there's only going to be two of you that survive. Oh my gosh. So, 1,998 little baby ticks
9: are born. And then that's it for them. But let's say that you're one of the lucky ones. And one sunny day, there you are hanging out on your little leaf when you detect two incoming mammals. One is a 40-year-old hominid, the other is her dog. So you perk up, you thrust your legs out, wave, do the tick dance, and say that you're waving and you're dancing and you're hoping and you're waving and you're dancing and you're hoping and you're waving and you're dancing and you're hoping and slowly the dog's getting closer and closer and closer and you reach out with one of your tiny little limbs so you can mm -hmm. grab on. And eat. And survive.
4: But But the reason that tick ended up on me was I slept in bed with my dog naked. I mean, she's always (laughs) naked, but I was also naked. (laughs) I mean, that's not gross. I don't, I mean, does that sound weird? No. But But how do you know that's when it happened? Because I know that, like, I did a good tick check on myself, and I took a shower and everything, and then... In the middle of the night, I woke up with a itching sensation, and I went to the bathroom, and I couldn't really see what was on, like, something was on the back of my arm, and it was a tick.
9: So, as the tick is biting
8: into Amy, what is it giving Amy that's going to make her allergic to meat? Well, I, actually, I need to stop you there, Robert.
11: Mm. Difficult one, Robert.
8: I don't know the answer to that. Um, hmm. That's Peter Smith, and well, rejoining us is Cheryl Van and
9: the scientist. It, it's all up for speculation. We don't really know, but here's the theory. So, so normally, when you eat a piece of meat, you put alpha gal in your stomach, and your stomach
8: digests it, and it's in your body, and it's no big deal. But the tick cunningly will drill into you, poke into you, and injects its saliva. We'll call that tick spit. Tick spit. Into its victims. Straight into its victim's largest organ. The skin. And ticks, but it has an anti-clotting factor, an anesthetic, anti-inflammatory compounds. And
9: we think the alpha-gal.
8: Now, Peter says the thing about the
9: skin is... The skin is like this enormous surveillance system. It's always on the lookout for invaders. So... When the alpha-gal comes through your skin, covered by all that bad, bad tick-spit stuff... That's going to really, like, set off your immune system. The immune system freaks out. Like, oh. Uh Uh-uh. And the alpha-gal, covered now in bad spit, almost sort of... By mistake. ...gets labeled bad. And now it's on the bad guy watch list. So... Therefore... The next time you eat meat... The meat comes in... And then... The body unleashes wave upon wave upon wave of chemical attacks. To do battle against this alpha gun. And this reaction gets way out of hand. you got so many antibodies multiplying, 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 making you, rather in this case Amy, feel just
4: (sighs) horrible. Right. I mean, it's very weird. It sounds like a science fiction movie. It sounds like the beginning of a science fiction, at least kids' book. Let's not go to movie. But, like, it's it's just strange. Which all goes to say
9: that this really is a kind of double tragedy for Amy and her tech. Yeah, because techs didn't evolve to bite humans.
8: Right. We're a mistake. Like, we
5: have opposable thumbs.
8: We're either going to pull them off.
4: I actually woke my mom up and she helped get it off.
8: Or if they drop off, they're going to drop off in an airport terminal or a Walmart car park or somewhere like (laughs) that. Or a shag carpet. Or (laughs) or a shag carpet indoors and,
9: and they're doomed. And for us, well, we lose something that historically anyway is a big part of who we are. Yeah. Because we we have we we
5: adapted in the grand evolutionary scheme of things to like eat flesh to eat
4: meat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I'm actually sitting here picturing a steak. But actually the <laughs> thing I mean, hot dogs like wrap ramps around a weenie and roast Yum, that sounds so good, my mouth's watering. <laughs> <laughs> Weenies and ramps. Yeah. But I am going to my allergist tomorrow because I did, you know, I was reading about this allergy a lot when I first got it. And I read that for some people, the allergy can fade away. So I'm going to get a blood test to see what my blood level of alpha-gal is. So I'm a little— So what are
2: you hoping for tomorrow?
4: I want to be normal again.
9: That was the end of, of the Dan and Amy conversation. She was going to go to the doctor, get herself tested, find out whatever. So we asked her back in. Okay. To find out what happened.
4: So I actually did get an appointment with my allergist, Dr. Corn. Her name is Dr. Corn. <laughs> She's really nice. Um, So I got the appointment. I got the blood draw, whatever. And a few days later, my doctor called me and she said that my numbers were still really high. And I was like, "Well, how high are they?" And she was like, "3." And I was like, "3? That's not <laughs> high." And she's like, "They're supposed to be like 1 or something." <sighs> so they had gone down, but they were still, you know, many times more than they should be so. But
9: when you left and you were waiting for the call, were you waiting with the hope that what, that you would soon be eating a bit of hot dog?
4: I mean, honestly, I was hoping no. No? No. I I don't. Wait a second, you you are the big, the great, you, you. No, but I was afraid that she would be like, oh my God, your numbers are so low. I think you could probably eat meat. Let's do a food challenge. I would be like, ah, because like, that's such a scary memory. Yeah. I don't, you know, actually just the other night I was eating at an Indian place and I was eating vegetarian, but like, I felt something, and I pulled it out, and in the dim light of an Indian restaurant, like, why are they all lit like that? I was (laughs) like, was this bacon? And I suddenly, you know, like, you just get this drop in your stomach, and I'm like, what time is it? Four hours from now, if I, you know, because it's, (laughs) there's something about it being delayed that Mm. makes it so difficult. It just is like.
9: Like a suspense movie with you, the victim.
4: It's like, it could happen in the next three hours, or maybe not, I don't know. I mean, honestly, the only thing that—the real reason I want to be able to eat meat is so that I will be prepared to eat it in case of emergency. I mean, I— went on a canoe trip in the Adirondacks and I I was like, well, what happens if I get stranded out here? And like, what if I have to hunt? But I can't even eat meat. I would have to hunt fish. But then when the lake freezes over, what would I eat? I can't survive. Something's wrong with me. I feel evolutionarily challenged. (laughs) This is what I think about before I go to bed every night. Would I be able to survive if I had just what's on me right now? A pen, underwear, my dog. (laughs) And so, yeah, I mean, that's a real issue is like, it's not a real issue obviously it's never going to happen i live in brooklyn but i i do for some reason i always think like i want to be prepared in case but um yeah you know i don't think i would go back to eating meat necessarily
9: like you are still more more frightened than game so to speak
4: well also like i wish i could be a vegetarian for ethical reasons because it's not so much just the eating meat but just like you know the 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 factory farming and that kind of stuff so i feel like morally superior now i can be like well i don't eat red meat of course i'm forced to not eat it <laughs> but at the same time i would if i had the if i had the willpower i'd probably go that way anyway and then also i think it's great it's like we're all evolving to be on this planet which is getting harder to be on and we know that meat takes a lot of resources and like Now I don't, now I'm not doing that. So, like, the tick is helping me evolve into a better human being.
9: Like, so one could, instead of thinking of the tick as your teeny weeny irritating enemy, you could think of it as a guiding light, making the world safer to share
2: with your fellow earthlings. Yeah. So, you may have lost your relationship with meat, but at least you have your moral superiority.
4: Yeah, I mean, I am superior. <laughs> yeah.
11: <laughs>
9: so huge thanks to Amy Pearl for telling a story which never stopped, never stopped being scary and wonderful. And to the fellow who brought her into the room, Dan Pashman, whose podcast, The Sporkful, is it's, it's uh, all about food in every conceivable way. Like he talks about eating it, preparing it, worrying about it, as you've heard, getting sick from it, getting fat from it, whatever. And you can find his show on iTunes or Stitcher or on the Internet at uh, sporkful.com. And this story was produced by Annie McEwen and Matt Kilty with reporting help from Latif Nasser. See you next time.
3: All right. So that was the original piece. We're going to take a quick break now. But when we come back, Sarah and Soren are going to follow the thread from Amy's allergy to this brand new genetically modified pig that can help a human who needs a kidney and also maybe solve Amy's problem.
2: Or maybe make it worse.
3: Stick with us. Radiolab is supported by BetterHelp. Whether it's already 2 a.m. on a fun night out, graduation time, a new year, we can find ourselves wishing we had more time, wondering where it all went. But there's a question. If we were magically given that time back, what would we do with it? Perhaps you'd spend more time with a friend that you've lost touch with or petting your dog or just noticing the sweetness of doing nothing. The best way to let those special things into your life is to know what's important to you so that you can make it a priority going forward. A therapist can guide you through the process of defining your values and understanding your priorities so you know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. BetterHelp offers convenient, affordable online therapy that comes to you. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Radiolab today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Radiolab.
0: When you see actor Danielle Brooks on the red carpet at the Oscars, she will be in full glamour and in grief.
7: I've been with Sophia for so long, and I just know, like, after the Oscars, that chapter is really done. And that saddens me.
0: I'm Kai Wright. A star of The Color Purple honors the role that shaped her career. Next time on Notes from America. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Latif, Lulu,
1: uh, Sarah, Soren. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So as we learned at the top of the show, five years after we ran that story, some doctors at NYU successfully transplanted a pig kidney into a human patient. And one of the reasons that worked was because the pig that the kidney came from had been genetically modified to not have alpha-gal, the alpha-gal sugar in its body.
6: It's really only the food that was kind of eluding us because we've known and have been also pursuing various medical device um, applications of the GalSafe pig. You know, we've had conversations
7: with... So I actually called up the company that makes this pig. Um, they call it the Gal Safe pig. Um, the company itself is called Revivicor. It
6: started out as the U.S. division of the Scottish company that cloned Dolly the sheep. Oh, uh, the UK
1: company that did Dolly the sheep. This is like their sort of like American offshoot. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And uh,
6: from there, uh, we actually cloned the world's first pigs.
7: So anyway, um, I talked to David Ayers. He's the company's chief scientific officer, uh, and also John Bianchi,
11: lead product development enterprises as a Revi- at Revivicor, and I also am in charge of regulatory affairs.
7: So, so at what point? Um, and either of you can take this. Um, At what point did you guys realize, okay, and I just wanted to ask them, like, okay, you made this pig for all of these medical transplant reasons, uh, but did you know about the whole food side of things?
11: I'll take this one, Dave, unless uh, (laughs) I'm the poor sap that uh, had to work with the FDA. I shouldn't say that. It was a very collaborative effort with the FDA. Um,
7: And they told me that while they were in the the middle of getting FDA approval for this pig to be used for medical reasons, um, they heard a certain radio show.
11: After listening to the Radiolab episode, uh, the original episode, and listening to Amy Pearl, we thought, hmm, why not? Just expand the application to include food.
6: We realized that the pigs that we had developed so that their organs wouldn't be rejected would also be a food source for these patients that have uh, the afligal allergy or the red meat allergy.
7: Okay, wait, so hearing Amy Pearl on our show had something to do with thinking that, oh, we should make this a food product?
6: It was
11: absolutely a motivation of mine after listening to Amy.
7: What? No.
3: Yeah, totally. Yes. <laughs> so, so,
7: yeah, now because of Amy Pearl and her story, this pig is now FDA approved for medical devices and things like that and transplants, but also for for food to use the meat of those pigs to make pork products that like people with alpha-gal syndrome can wow. eat. Wow.
1: So, of course, we immediately like called up Amy Pearl and Amy we're like Amy Pearl, Amy Pearl, Amy Pearl. Pearl, Pearl. Ah. Hello. We got something to tell you. Look at this. Oh, no. Oh,
11: my God. How do you
1: always have, like, tiny little bundles of cuteness in your
7: life. When we talked to her, she had a couple of <laughs> really, really foster. small foster kittens, like, scrambling up and down her shoulders and mewing in the background. Does, like, I feel a so
1: we out. explained to her, you know, the whole deal. There's this pig that doesn't have alpha-gal that's being used for transplants. That from which you could make meat that would be safe to eat. For people like you, Amy Pearl.
4: Ugh, it's kind of, I mean, I just, I feel kind of disgusted Mm. because it's been a long time, long time since I've had pork or beef. I've found plenty of delicious things to eat that aren't um, bacon-
1: and and she said that you know even if there is now some pork that's totally safe she still feels sort of the same way she did at the end of the original show which is that she's kind of just over red meat
4: I've kind of moved on from it honestly and and
1: happily it sounds yeah
4: i feel like it's better for my peace of mind it's better for my health it's better for the planet itself and I feel lucky and happy. It's kind of like,
7: but then of course, you know, we had to tell her that you know we talked to the guys at Revivacor and that she and her story were sort of an inspiration for this meat becoming available to people. And I'll just play you a clip of of something uh, they said to me.
11: It was absolutely a motivation of mine after listening to Amy when I heard the Radio Lab podcast. I'm thinking. Well, we hold the hammer.
4: Oh, God. Great. I mean, it's so funny. <laughs> oh. oh, well. But it's fine. I mean, I, I I, guess he sounds like such a nice guy.
7: Say more. Say more on what you feel. What's, what were you thinking as you heard it? You sort of like hung your head. I mean,
4: I was thinking that.
1: Never should have gone on a radio lab.
4: I don't know, I'm just like always thinking misanthropic things. <laughs> but I was thinking, like, here's a person who's like, here's me just like talking about how delicious meat is and like juices. And they're like, yeah, I love meat too. And they're like, she seems sad. I'm going to make meat for her. And Then it's like, but I actually don't really, I actually, anyway, I can make it for you. I figured it out. I have the hammer, but I actually don't want, it's okay, I'm making it. (laughs) Here it is. I think she felt like
7: because of her, they'd gone and solved this problem that she didn't
4: even really want solved. It's just kind of like you would like go to some kind of special FDA store to buy some special genetically modified pork just so you could have a bite of some kind of meat I mean it just was like I don't know do you guys ever get into philosophy you ever it just like immediately for me when you say oh they created this pig that you can that alpha gal people can eat my next thought is like what is the meaning of life? Why am I here? Wait, why?
1: <laughs> can you, do you think you because can close the like, gap between those two for us a little bit? Like, are
4: there some <laughs> intermediate yeah. steps? Because it's like, well, is that good or bad? Well, I guess it's good for people who want to eat pork, but it's bad for the pig. It just immediately brings to mind, you know, what, how to live. Do you live... To satisfy your desires and and be happy, or do you live to to not harm others, or what? Why are we even here? Are pigs below us? Are are they above us? Is it okay to put a put a pig first? Like, what if someone's kid is dying of kidney cancer? Well,
1: see that then now, like that's now how like you know this question has another whole layer because it's not just mm-hmm. that they made a pig. For people who got bit by a tick but wish they could still have a hot dog. They also then, it turns out, made a pig that like could maybe have a kidney that could save a life where there's no other kidney available, or maybe in the future more and more and more things. But it's like just that.
4: it's kind of like when you start thinking about breeding animals just for organs for people. It's like redeciding all over again. Like, should we be eating another animal that might be intelligent it's like you're just answering all those questions again but for another purpose because like you can get organ like kidneys out of other people and they're it's like safe and
7: I mean yeah that's a good point and and I and I asked this guy um this doctor about this and and you know, was sort of pushing him on, on like, why? Like, you've just opened the door to, like, a whole new way of exploiting animals. And I think his thing, which I'm convinced by, honestly, is, like, look, there are 90,000 people right now, right now, that need a kidney. And when it comes to, like, making the decision for for yourself or, like, for a loved one, if you're like they need a kidney and you're and and you have the option to put a pig kidney in them, you're like that's not even a question. You know, we eat millions of pigs anyway. I guess on balance, I feel okay. I, you know, I mean,
4: I I totally agree with you, but why don't they just why don't they just make a fake kidney? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, if somebody like imagine humans did not think like, oh, it's okay to take. To, like, kill an animal just to get its kidney for someone else. It was, like, not even something that crossed their mind. We would have invented a plastic kidney by now. Probably. So,
7: at this point in the interview, unfortunately, we actually still had one more thing that we had to tell Amy that we learned from the guys at Revivicor. I have
4: to tell you something that you might like even less. What they named the the pig Amy before they... Hit it with the hammer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. What? Yeah. Are you kidding, us? Are you kidding? No. no, I'm not. I'm not kidding.
11: By the way, the first pig that went to market, we named Amy.
7: <gasps> After
4: Amy Pearl?
11: <laughs> of course. Well, I did it. In oh my, my gosh. Mind. I'm not sure Dave approved that name,
4: but. It did what happen. did they name? The one who donated the kidneys? No, the no. First so the one first they... one that they slaughtered <laughs> oh, for meat. They named it Amy, and unofficially, but, but you know, they did, yeah. I mean, I can see why they picked something that was, like, motivating for them, like, humanizing and motivating in their, their, like, quest to solve this thing that they decided was a good problem to put their thoughts behind. Mm -hmm. I mean... I, it can't bother me. I can't let myself think about that. Poor, 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 poor living creatures that suffer. <laughs> yeah.
7: But I do think it's good. I am grateful that, like you are holding the position of making all of us think twice, including me. Like, I think I've been part of the, like, oh, this is a breakthrough. And look at the pig kidney and the human and the heart is beating and everything is working. It's so cool. And and I do think that it's really helpful for f- that you're reminding me there is a cost to this that we shouldn't ignore and that, you know... Um, that we should challenge our imaginations almost to imagine a world where we don't have to exploit these pigs and find another way.
1: There Um, could be some young, budding scientist that'll listen to this version of the story and come up with an artificial kidney and name it Amy. That'd be great.
7: That'd
4: be great. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's the only way to make this right. It's funny to think that there's like, I mean, how big was this pig at the end? Like, usually pigs, I guess when they slaughter them for meat, maybe they're smaller. But, like, I met a pig in Vermont that was, like, 800 pounds, and I gave her a whole watermelon. And to her, it was like...
1: Like a gumdrop? (laughs) Um, Thanks.
4: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was... She was just giant. I took a hoe. I was, like, scratching her back with a hoe, and it just, like, looked like a little toothbrush on her, and she was like, oh, that feels so good. I mean, I wonder if Amy got to be that big. I I wonder. 800-pound Amy. Pretty formidable. Watch out. (laughs) I'm just, like, now I'm wishing I could change places with her, and then I'll have done my time, and, like, I would have now be, like left the mortal coil and she would be sitting here in this interview with her pig intelligence, which is plenty for this. Probably <laughs> you
1: think for, you think she could raise those kittens and then she would end up on like one of those unlikely friendship calendars where it's like, look at the pig raising the kittens.
4: Yeah, exactly. yeah. I wonder if there's a resemblance. What an incredible turn of events. What are you thinking? I'm just thinking about, like, Amy the pig going about her business, you know, with no thought to any of this. Just imagining, like, oh, it's so warm here in the mud. I'm going to stay here for a little while. Oh, I'm hungry. I'm going to go check out the trough for a while. Just like that (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that kind of living. I don't know. When your brain hurts, you just have to, like, retreat to your body.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Amy Pearl, for coming on the show again and making us think more deeply than we were again.
2: This update to the episode was reported and produced by Sara Kari. Um, And also a thank you to Amy the Pig.
3: Thank you, Amy the Pig. I'm Lulu Miller.
2: I'm Latif Nasser.
3: Latif, I just wanted to say before they cut us off here that that whole story was a real oink rubirous. Of that the tail. That
2: is not a joke that people are going to get, I think. I, I, I'm it's afraid. It's like a
3: rumorous is the snake that's eating its tail. It's, but partly pig. because
2: I've always pronounced it uraburos.
3: Okay, well, oink of the tail. Pig tail. a tail.
2: Pigtail. Uh, maybe a pigtail is what it is. Science reporting on Radio Lab okay. is supported in part by Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. Hi, this is Vincent Rojas from Norman, Oklahoma. Radiolab is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org.
7: Radiolab was created
3: by Jada Boomrod and is edited by Soren Wheeler. Lulu Miller and Latif Nasser are our co-hosts. Susie Luchtenberg is our executive producer, and Dylan Keefe is our director of sound design. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Jeremy Bloom, Becca Bressler, Rachel Cusick, W. Harry Fortuna, David Gable, Maria Paz Gutierrez, Sinduniana Sambandam, Matt Kilty, Annie McEwen, Alex Neeson, Sara Kari, Ariane Wack, Pat Walters, and Molly Webster. With help from Tanya Chavla and Sarah Sandbach, our fact-checkers are Diane Kelly, Emily Krieger, and Adam Shabil. Uh-huh.